How many people here have ever had a job? How many people say, right now I have a job, right? I don't like my job, I love my job, but I have a job. How did you get that job or any job in your whole life? You know, some people are lucky. They get passed down the family farm, which probably wasn't the case in here, but the family business is passed down from generation to generation. Now, my dad, uh, that was one of the things I held against him, was that he was a pastor, and you don't pass that down. It's not like he has this, uh, the guy that I drilled wells for, he, he has a son that's going to take over the drilling business. You know, it's just, that was just one of those things that doesn't happen in this line of work. But you can get a job by getting it passed down from you. Uh, sometimes anybody get a job by word of mouth. Uh, I didn't have to really apply for a job, just someone found out I needed work, and they said, hey, Josh, why don't you come help me? I've had that kind of situation where I just happened to know the right people. Uh, how many other people have got a job based off a sign, something like this? Help wanted. Anybody ever see a sign like this? Maybe different colors, maybe worded a little differently, but everybody has seen a sign, something like this. You see them in restaurants. I think there's probably one at the grocery store right now. They're always looking for work. Uh, anybody ever apply when you, you see something like that? Um, why do people put those in the signs? Why do I put them in the doors and in the windows? Because they want help, right? And now, what happens when they get the employee to fill that position? Does this sign stay out there, Caleb? No, what happens? They put it away. And that, that makes perfect sense. Uh, but there is this vacuum place in Spokane. And this is something really crazy, but it was a main road. And I think, I don't know what the deal was, but they had help wanted. It was, they needed help so bad or so often that they just painted it on the side of the building. <laughs> I never applied and never figured out if it was the boss was the reason or if they, you got commission for selling vacuums or if you had to fix them or whatever, but it was just always there. It was, it was, it was painted. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think when it comes to working for God and God looking for workers, that you could have a permanent help wanted sign. I think he could, he could plaster it up in the skies with like the airplane that put, writes the messages up there help wanted. Because there's, there's, we look today, we say there's this plentiful harvest. There's lots of people who need to know Jesus, but the workers are few. There's not enough people out there. And so there's this, uh, I, th I think he could take a, and put it permanently in the sky. It's actually in our bulletin too. So if you, if you look through it during the week, help wanted, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Okay, so that's part of what we're going to be talking about, but not the whole thing. We're going to be in chapter Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 24, and I'm sorry, this passage is this big. I'm going to try not to take that long <laughs> to get through it, uh, but it, we're going to be talking about mainly that there's a huge harvest out there, and everybody's got to do their part to help bring in the harvest because uh, just a few people cannot get the job done. So uh, the first thing we're going to see is that the workers are sent to bring in the harvest, verses 1 through 11. Luke 10, verses 1 through 11, it says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. This is very familiar because when Jesus sent out the 12 disciples, a lot of this Especially this next part was the same thing he told them. So when we get to that part, we're not going to talk real in-depth about it, but we're going to 
briefly look at it. Verse 5 says, When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Verse 8 says, When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. Okay, so the first thing we see is that there is a harvest field and there is a plentiful harvest. <clears throat> and there's, 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 the whole world is, is a harvest field. And there's lots of people out there who I think if somebody would just tell them that, they, that there's this message of salvation, I think back then when Jesus was talking to the, the 72, he says, if somebody will just go out there and share this message of Jesus, I think some people are going to listen. Some people are going to accept the message of salvation. But obviously, not everybody is going to do that. Anybody ever plant a garden or a field? Does every little seed that you plant turn into something? No. And, and not even every crop turns into be a good crop. Sometimes you plant them, some things grow, like the zucchini grows well everywhere, all the time. The corn doesn't do so hot, at least in my experience. But not all seeds are going to grow, but there's people who would accept the message if they were just going to hear it. And there's no shortage of, of a crop. There's not going to be a point where you say, I've done my job, I'm all done, where else do I go and harvest? Because when you get out and you harvest your garden, you're out there for a couple hours a day until it's all done, and they say, I'm done for the winter, right? I'm just going to put all my tools away, and I'm going to go inside, and I'm going to flip on the TV because I have nothing else i got to do. But the harvest that Jesus is talking about, there's never an ending point. You're never going to run out of people to talk to. It says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's not enough people to get the job done. There's not enough people who are willing to go out there and share Christ with people. The potential is there, though. You know, when Jesus is talking to these people, there's the, the potential is there to go out and reach their world because there's bodies. There's bodies who have, of people who have accepted Christ as their Savior who, who should be going out, but they say, I'm not willing to go out there. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my friend if I tell them about Jesus. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job if I go and tell my boss or if I make uh, a big show of my faith. It's... It, they just say, you know, it's not really a priority to me. I really don't care about those people if I don't go out there and share Christ with those people. But there were 72 that Jesus sent out to go into the mission field. And he says, as he's sending out the 72 people, he says something really interesting. Uh, he says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers into the harvest field. Now, this word send, I'm not going to try to wow anybody with Greek and, and that kind of thing, but I... When I did a little bit of studying, I felt like God was saying, hey, Josh, you got to notice this. Because when you think of the word send, you think of maybe the Jesus with the disciples, and he's got 12 willing people who just need this, the attaboy to get out there and go. Jesus says go, and guess what? They went. It was no big deal. But this word for send is a little bit different. This word for send is, it has the idea of force or impulse. You guys know what this is, right? It's a pitchfork. You probably know exactly what I want to say about this. You know, obviously you use this to pick up hay, but I think Jesus is saying, you know what, 
you guys are going out and doing this mission, but not everybody is. And nothing you say can convince them. Ask God to poke them and to prod them and to strongly encourage them to get off their heinies and go and share Christ with people. You know, when I think about motivation, um, you know, I, I'm not a person who gets really energized by motivational speakers. I know some people do, and they'll go out there, and they'll just change the world because of it. That doesn't really happen to me, and I know that when I talk, it doesn't do that to people either. I mean, it's like, wow, that was interesting, and maybe for a, a few moments it might inspire somebody, but it, it really, it just doesn't do that. So I just got to say, hey, God, you know what? You do it. You know how to motivate people. You know how to encourage people to poke them and prod them and get them out there to go and share Christ with people. But harvesting is not something that's easy to do. It's not something that people say, yay, I want to do this. Remember last week we talked about if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you're going to probably have to give up different things. I'm going to have to give up my securities, right? Remember my house that's really comfortable and I got my four walls and I'm protected from the world and uh, my, my job and my 401k and all that kind of things that, that I stay comfortable with. I might have to give those up if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. Remember when you're hanging up, right? Like, I'm not listening to this anymore, if you happen to be here last week. Uh, you might have to give up your family, right? If, if you're going to go to Africa, guess what? You don't usually pack up the whole grandparents and cousins and all your relatives and say, hey, let's move together. It's just you that's going. Or if you're going to a different town, it's just you who's going. You might have to give up those things in your life that you really want to do. Remember the guy with the plow, who's looking sideways because he'd rather be doing something else. And then the people who, who aren't just so distracted doing it, they just give up and they walk away and they say, I'm going to do this instead. So it's not an easy thing to be a disciple. And he, he adds a, a few things a little bit differently. He says, go, I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves. If you look at the back of your bulletin, you get a picture of this. You have Jesus, he's holding out a sheep. And what's right beneath him? A bunch of wolves. Well, that, that really motivates me to want to get out there, right, and be a disciple. If it's going to be like that, I mean, what's a sheep have going for it? You know, it's got, if it's got a lot of fur, maybe it can hold off a bite or two from a wolf that says, I can't handle, I can't get through that much wool to get to it. But really, the sheep is defenseless. It can't hardly run. I mean, it, it, they're just, for the sheep experience I have, they're just, they're just afraid of everything. I mean, I've seen a YouTube where you had three sheep that were kind of, standing off against the wolf, but for the most part, sheep are just running out for themselves, out for their own lives, because they're helpless. That's what it's going to be like. There's going to be people who are going to try to stop you or try to harm you in some way if you go out and do this. I don't want anybody to say, that's not me, but this is how he's sending them out. He says, uh, the next thing, he says, don't take with you a purse or bag or sandals. Now, I'm thinking they probably had sandals on their feet, so he's saying, don't take anything extra. And that word go is like now. Go right now to 72 and go share, the, share this message with people. Don't go home and say, okay, I'm going to get my backpack full of stuff. And I mean, I mean, how many of those people do you think showed up that day expecting to go on this mission trip? I don't think any of them were. I think 72 happened to be the number that Jesus picked. There's a large crowd of people. He says, you guys just go right now. Okay, I, I guess I'm, I'm not taking anything with me. That's going to make their light loader or load lighter, in order to travel. The next thing he says, don't greet anybody on the road. Seems kind of rude, right? 
I'm, I'm walking by and I'm just going to kind of avoid people. I, I think the idea is not just, hi, how you doing, and I'm going to keep going. I think the idea is like what happens almost every Sunday in church is when we're, I think this is what my kids would tell me, dad, mom, don't greet anybody in church. Because what do we do? We don't just say, hi, Todd, see ya. Hi, Nicole, see ya. Hi, and we're leaving. Guess what we do? We sit there, we talk, and we talk, and we talk. And it's a good thing with kids, we live next door, because I'm like, just go home and get something to eat. But in Davenport, we sit there for like an hour every Sunday talking to people, and the kids are starving and like wanting to leave. And it's, it's like that idea is like, don't get distracted by people. You've got a mission field. You've got a mission. Go, and just don't let anything else become more important than what you're doing. He says, stay put and eat. They were supposed to go to somebody's house, and they were supposed to stay there. The Jewish custom was to be, be taken in. And I'm sure you, you go and you get into this house and you say, boy, that house looks nicer. You know, I don't really like this food. Uh, I, don't, I don't like what's, setting, what's being said in front of me. They could be always looking to go somewhere else. But for the Jewish community, that would be awfully rude. Just a side note, if you ever want to go be a missionary in a different country, short term or long term, you got to remember one thing. If it's the only thing you ever remember about being a missionary, is you better eat the food. Whether you like it or not, whether you keep it in your cheek for the, the next three hours and then spit it out, you better keep it in there because it's very offensive to people if you don't eat their food. But like I said, that's a side note. All these people, if they were to go and they were to uh, talk to these people and share Christ with them and they were doing miracles and they were preaching the gospel, whatever it is that they were doing, and those people still rejected them, they can leave with a clean conscience. And I know we've talked about this before. It's, it's okay to stop. I've shared Christ with somebody over and over, and I feel bad they're not accepting, and I feel bad if I walk away, but it's okay to say, okay, the disciples were kicking off the dust of their feet. They would walk through a Gentile town. They like they don't want to take any part of that with them. And it's like, that's your, your blood's on your own head. That's your own choice. And so I want nothing to do with it. It's okay for them to move away from those people. If they didn't want to accept the message, you know what? The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. And there's no way that you're going to get two little workers to the whole world, right, before the world ends. There's just, there's just not that, it just doesn't work out that way. So the world back then, guess what? The harvest was plentiful. You think the harvest is plentiful now? There's way more people. I think there's almost 6 billion people. I doubt there was that many people way back then. Hopefully, even though the workers are few, hopefully there's more workers now than there were back then. But the thing is, are people willing to go? And when you think about uh, fields, like harvest fields, I was, I was thinking, like, if I was to go to Dale's field, I, like a physical field, I would drive down this road a couple blocks, I'd drive about four miles, and I would open the gate, and I'd go walking through the field, right? And I would say, okay, I'm finally here. This is where the cows are at. This is where the snakes are at. This is where the rabbits are at. Whatever is growing, hey, I'm in the field. But when it comes to God's harvest field, guess what? You don't go walking or driving down the road, take a left and a right, and go four miles and get to a field. You're always in God's mission field. It could be inside this building. You know what? On Wednesday night, we have kids here who don't always know Jesus. Sunday mornings, we might have people here who don't know Jesus. And guess what? You're walking. You're always walking through a mission field. When we go to, when I, when we go to school, kids, when you go to school, guess what? That's a mission field. That's a harvest field. You're walking by other students and other teachers. 
And guess what? All those people are, are a crop. They're they are a, a, a harvest field that need to hear about Jesus. Hopefully they all know him, but if not, they're a harvest field. Uh, anybody going to watch a Super Bowl game? I got to go to runnings, right, and buy my snacks before I get to the game. Guess what that's called? It's called a harvest field. Uh, when you go out into the oil field and you go uh, to the gas field and when you go to the hospitals and when you go to the, wherever you go, everywhere you go is called a harvest field. The harvest is plentiful. But everybody has a different harvest field. You know, I, uh, I like basketball. I haven't really made a big deal about it. I'm not very good at it. Uh, I, I think, you know, when I went to a basketball game the other night and Baker was getting beat pretty bad, I, you know what, I really wanted to get out there and play. I would have loved to get out. I, I couldn't keep up. I'm 39. I'm a lot shorter than a couple of those guys. They would have been embarrassing. But I like to play basketball. But guess what? They're never going to let me play. They're not going to say, hey, Josh, yeah, why don't you join our team? Why don't you come out and play? Besides the fat, fact that I can't play, they're not going to say, you're welcome, because I'm not a school. I'm not in school. You know, I'm not athletic. I'm not I'm just, I don't fit the criteria to play in a basketball team. I, I picture the oil field. I know where some of those fields are at, and I can get out there and go driving through the fields and start opening the doors and looking for people and, and start trying to share Christ with them. But guess what's probably going to happen? I have no idea, but I'd hate to find out. They'd probably say, no trespassing. Get out, get out of here, right? Uh, uh, you can have it anywhere. Uh, you know, and the thing is, where you're at is your... Uh, your harvest field, and it's going to be different. Todd's harvest field is going to be completely different from Nicole's harvest field because it's two different towns, two different occupations. They they probably let Nicole go do the the oil field, but they wouldn't let me. <laughs> but everybody's harvest field is different, and even it even works like with this these people in Calgary or the foxes in Alaska. Guess what? They're in Alaska. And they're har- they have a harvest field, and it's not mine because I'm not there. I can't help them there. And guess what? They can't help me here because they're not here. You get the idea? Your world is your harvest field, and you've got to go out there and harvest that. Now, maybe you say, you know what, Josh? I hear what you're saying, and that's me. I understand the harvest field, and I understand that what I've got to do. I'm in, I'm in my little, I'm in my groove. I'm telling people about Jesus. I'm living for the Lord. You know, and you know what, you, you look around and say, you know what, I know not everybody is. And it, it can get discouraging. You say, I'm doing the job, but I don't see other people doing it. It can get discouraging. And I understand that. Uh, and, it's, and it's not an easy job, but you know what you're supposed to do. A, you're supposed to keep harvesting. And B, you're supposed to pray that God would get his pitchfork out there. And he would poke, and he would prod, and he would somehow gently or not so gently motivate other fellow believers to get out there and to do their job. We don't have to be mad or frustrated about it. Just say, hey, God, please, we need more workers out in the field. Get people out there. You know, even uh, today at the nursing home service, in in case someone was going to come, I'm going to give you the, like, you don't need to come now. Uh, I'm going to tell the nursing home people, you know what? You have a harvest field. And it may be a lot smaller and a lot different than most of ours, but there's other residents that they can talk to, right, about Jesus. There's the workers that need to hear about Jesus. They have family members that come and hear about Jesus. But guess what? They cannot go anywhere, right? They could get in a wheelchair, and I don't think they're going to get to the door. I, don't, I just don't, they're not going to be able to go to Africa. They're not going to be able to, to come to 
plug and go door knocking. They can't do those things, but guess what they can do? They can work in their mission field. They can ask God to get his pitchfork out there and start asking him to motivate people to do those kinds of things. So the first thing is that harvest field's massive, and there are not a lot of workers. And even if you took all of us and said, okay, we're going to go and do this, the world's just so small that everybody's, we need more people. So we've got to pray and ask God to, to get more people involved. Okay, so the second thing is that there are those who are going to reject this message. Verses 13 through 16, it says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you're going to go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me, but he who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. So if, uh, I, I guess I skipped 10, verse 12. says, I tell you, be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for, the, for this town. Now, you guys know a little bit about Sodom, I think, from the Old Testament. It was a very wicked town. Lot had lived in there. Abraham and Lot, had so, they were together. They were so big that they had to separate which, where they were going to go because the land couldn't sustain the crops of both of them. So Lot says, well, hey, there's a city there. The land looks nice and green. I'm going to go live there. He found out later, Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, this is written about him long after he died, but Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day, he was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. This was a very, very bad place that he was living. Uh, Abraham was trying to talk God out of destroying the cities, and he said, he got down to, even if for the sake of 10 people, will you save this city? And God said, okay, for the sake of 10 people, I won't destroy this town. And guess what? There were four. There was uh, Lot and his wife and his two daughters. They, they couldn't even get 10 people out of this massive city. It was that bad. And guess how it was destroyed? Anybody remember? It was like raining down, burning sulfur. How bad of a city do you have to be to, have to be destroyed that way? Like, Every last bit of you is going to be torched. It's, it's got to be a bad place. Uh, then you have Chorazin and Bethsaida. Bethsaida was a town that Jesus had actually gone and talked to. Jesus, in Mark chapter 8, you find out that he healed a blind man. It was a town, you guys remember the, when Jesus fed the 5,000 people? And I told you it was probably about 20 by the time they got their wives and their kids involved. Guess what town that was in? That was Bethsaida. And then you have this town called Chorazin. You look that up in your Bible, and guess where you're going to find it? You're going to find it mentioned once in Matthew. I think it is, and once in Luke, saying the same thing. There's nothing else about that. So you don't have any idea what miracles Jesus actually did in Chorazin. But you know what? Jesus did miracles there. And there was enough proof there that they should have said, okay, Jesus is real. His message is real. I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to change the Bible is just like a snippet of what Jesus did, of the miracles that he did. That's not all-encompassing. Jesus did other miracles in these towns. Jesus did other miracles and taught in other places, but they're just not recorded. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it says, Jesus did many other miracles in the presence of his disciples, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. These are written that you're going to believe, but Jesus did way more other things 
than the, the than are actually recorded. I don't think we could handle that many things. Capernaum was another place. People were amazed when Jesus spoke because he spoke as one who had authority. They were wow, they were impressed, but guess what they did with that message? They didn't do anything with it. Uh, when Jesus healed the centurion's servant, they're like, great, you know what? There were people who believed, but as a whole, these towns said, I don't really, we don't really care what you're teaching. Yeah, it sounds good, it's, you're interesting, you got good jokes, whatever, but that's it. And you did miracles, we reaped the benefits, and my cousins, that centurion's servant, they got healed. But as far as like adding that to my life, I don't really want that. And Jesus' response to these three towns uh, that, that heard the message, that had all the proof, said, I don't really care. He says, whoa. It's like a, a term of distress and of, of sadness. Like, whoa, you guys, you had everything. You had all the convincing proofs. He says, if I was there in Sodom, that really, really, really bad place, or I was there in uh, Tyre, Tyre and Sidon, if I was there with all those wicked people, guess what would have happened? Those people would have believed the message. They would have repented. They would have put on sackcloth, which was very uncomfortable, and they would have sat on the ground with ashes on their head. And it would have been a very, it was a very obvious sign of repentance that they were very sorry for what they did, and they would have done that. But guess what? They didn't get the same chance that you guys got. You guys got that chance, and what did you do with it? Absolutely nothing. And it's woe to you. Uh, just a quick side note. Uh, I was actually even talking with Lauren about this yesterday, who's over working on our basement. We're talking about like degrees of hell. You know, because we know that hell's a bad place to go, right? And I don't want to go there. And I want to put my faith in Jesus for salvation so that I do not have to go there. But I do think that there are degrees of, or layers of hell based off of how bad people are, what they did with what they knew. I think these three towns that had all this proof who rejected Jesus, he says it's going to be more bearable for those towns that didn't know anything about Jesus. More bearable makes me think either A, it's not going to feel, they're not going to feel so bad when Jesus says you're going to hell because you didn't put your faith in me, or it's going to be a worse place in hell. But later on in Luke, Chapter 12, which we'll get to probably in like three months, <laughs> says those, this, 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 I guess kind of like the master who has the servant who knows what to do and doesn't do it. Guess what? He's going to be beat with a lot of blows. But the servant who doesn't know what he's supposed to do and doesn't do it, he's going to get beat with a few blows. So I think it's going to be worse for some than others. I think about like Adolf Hitler. It's going to be a really, really bad place for him in hell. The 20-year-old the who goes and gets shot to death when he's trying to rob a bank by the security guard, like that's his crime was like robbing a bank, didn't kill anybody. It's going to be bad for him, but I don't think it's going to be bad for that person who, like uh, whoever I just mentioned, that killed Adolf Hitler who killed people long ago. But the same also applies for us who say, you know what, I grew up, I personally grew up in a church my whole life, ever since birth, right? I told you I couldn't miss a Sunday I got one choice to miss it. If I missed it, that was it. So I just went every single Sunday. And I've heard the message of salvation over and over and over. You probably could say the same thing. I've heard it a thousand times, Josh, uh, the message of salvation. What did you do with it? Did you say, I'm going to accept it and believe it? Or did you say, I really don't believe it? Because if you say, I, didn't, I don't really believe it, and you've heard it a hundred thousand times, it's going to be worse for you 
than the person who, who's never heard the name of Jesus or who's heard the name of Jesus once or twice and then that's it. It's going to be, more, it's going to be worse for, for those who say, yeah, I heard it, but I never believed it. So it's a, just a, make sure that you've, you've heard that message, but you have said, okay, I believe it. You don't want to go to hell. Don't even, you don't want to punch your ticket there and, and take your chances. It's really not going to be that bad. It's going to be bad no matter what, but make sure you put your faith in Jesus. So the 72 have gone out, and Jesus has, has told them all these things, and then they, the 72 come back. Verses 17 through 24. And they returned with joy. He says, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the powers of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and have revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this was your own good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son, no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Father has chose to reveal him. Verse 23, then he read, he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. A lot is in this little passage. First he's saying, I saw Satan fall from heaven. I think he's saying is, I, I, Jesus could see that Satan had a grip on people's lives, and all of a sudden that grip is loosening. The 72 people are going out there, they're sharing Christ with people. People are believing that message, and that tight hold that Satan had is now he can't hang on to people anymore. They're, they're turning their lives over to Jesus, and so it's like he's falling from heaven. He's, he's losing the power, the, the control that he has, and he says, you know how great that is that that is going on? He says, even better than that is the fact that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and that way it's written down in the Bible. is like that's a secure term. You want to worry about losing your salvation or not? You put your faith in him and look at verses like that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's supposed to be confidence, security that Jesus was giving those disciples, that your name is written down and it is going to stay there. It's, exci it's exciting that you have shared the gospel with people and let lives are changed. But even better than that is that your life has been changed as well. And then Jesus, he prays to the Father. And he, prays, he thanks God that the disciples get it. And it kind of sounds like he says, thank you that you have hidden it from the wise and the learned people. It kind of sounds like Jesus says, I don't want the rich or the, the smart people to get to heaven. Hide it from them, right? Hide it from the wise and the learned. But that contrasts everything that, who Jesus is and what his mission was. He doesn't, he doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to, to come to eternal life. And when you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, what that uh, Todd had read earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. He says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you are wise by human standards. Guess what? Not many of you are wise. That means there were some who were wise. So Jesus isn't saying, I'm glad they didn't get it. I don't want the smart people. I don't want the rich people into heaven. He just says, uh, and as far as further along in this passage is that in their wisdom, the wise men in his wisdom did not see God. They were they're looking for their own brains and their own way to heaven, and they couldn't see it. 
But these disciples who are willing to accept it by, the message by faith, he says, I'm glad that you helped them to see it. Because they're not the wise and the, the powerful, the influential of this earth. It's those who are uh, the weaker, the poor, the people who say, you know what, I recognize right now that I, don't, that I need help, that I need some other way to, to make it through life, that I need some other way to get to heaven. I'm glad that Jesus is saying, I'm glad that you have made them able to see this. Because those are the people who aren't going to be saying, wow, look at how good I was. Look what I did to get myself to heaven. They're going to, they're going to boast in the Lord and say, it wasn't me. It wasn't because I was rich. It wasn't because I was influential. It wasn't because of what anything I was going to do or what I did. It's only because of salvation. It's only because of Jesus that I have eternal life. And so I'm going to boast and say, it's Jesus. It's not me. It's not what I've done. So he says, I'm glad that you have helped them to see it. The wise men didn't see it in their own riches and in their own wisdom, but you helped the, the, the simple-hearted, the simple-minded to understand it. And then he, he goes on a little bit more and says, you know what, guys, you're really lucky to see what you're seeing. There's, there's lots of prophets and kings in the Old Testament who wanted to see it. They had to look ahead to some point in the future when the Messiah was going to come. And then you have us on the very other end of the spectrum. Guess what? We look back and we say, guess what Jesus did? We can read in his Bible. Or we can read the miracles. We can look back and see the process of eternal life that it took. And so we're both on both sides of the spectrum. So we're saying, you guys are experiencing something really unique and something really special. We actually have it better, than the, I think, than the people who are looking forward to Jesus because we can look and see what he did. But the thing that we got, we got to still do is say, what are we doing with what we've heard? Are we reading our Bibles? Or is it the one that's sticking on the shelf? It's like, any, meeny, miny, moe, I hope I can pick the right one, or it's, it's hiding under my bed, or I have no idea where it's at. Are we reading it and saying, okay, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus taught, and so I'm going to do it. I'm going to put it into practice. We're, we're better off than they were. I want to come back to this idea of, of the help wanted. You know, uh, I know that was an awful lot to try to digest. And I, I knew it was going to be long before I even started. But I, I just want to make sure we all understand the harvest is plentiful. Okay, There's lots of people out there who need salvation. And there's, there's lots of peop potential people who could go out there and do it. But the people who are actually willing to go out there and share the gospel with people is few. There's not many people. Even if everybody in this room said, hey, that's me. I'm doing it. I'm out there sharing the gospel. There's a great big world out there that's not doing it. So A, make sure that you're doing it. But B, pray and ask God that he would poke and prod people to get out there to share the gospel as well. And that we, need, we also need to be remembering that how special this salvation is. It's great to go out there and change the whole world and turn people's over, you know, turn them to Jesus. But it's better to even have our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So if your name is not written there, then you're missing out. We've all heard the message of salvation. And if we choose to reject it, we're, we're worse off than the people that have, have never heard it. So I just want to challenge you, challenge me, that our mission field, when we leave today, the bulletin says, you are now entering the mission field. You we're in it right now. When you leave the doors of this church, everywhere you go, it's a harvest field. It's a mission field. I want to encourage you to do your best to, to get involved in people's lives, to share the gospel with them, invite them to church, do whatever it takes to make sure that they know the message of salvation. Let's pray. Dear God, you know, there is a great big harvest field out there. And you know how big it is, way better than we do. The people are assuming that there's something like 6 billion people. God, you know 
how many workers there are, and you know them each by name, and you know, God, that there's not enough people to get out there and do the job. And I just pray that for each of us, that you would help us to be willing to do our part to get out there and do the job. God, and, and for those who say, I'm not going to do it, I'm too afraid, I don't know what to say, or I just don't care, that's not my job because I'm not the pastor or the missionary, help them, God, to be motivated, poke them and prod them, put, put it in their hearts, uh, strongly motivate them, encourage them, to get out there and do it also. And I pray that you'd help us to see the fruit of our labor, God. Some plant, some water, you make it grow, but you give us the opportunity to harvest. So I pray that you'd help those people to be ready to hear the message and receive it with joy. And I pray for your help to do all this in Jesus' name. Amen.